In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. According to a recent survey, the percentage of men with at least six close friends has fallen by half since 1990, and men today are five times more likely to say they don't even have a single close friend than they were 30 years ago. What are the reasons for this seeming friendship recession among men? Today, I talked to the man who conducted that survey to try to find out. His name is Daniel Cox, and he's the director of the Survey Center on American Life. Today on the show, Daniel takes us on a tour of the state of friendship among modern American men, beginning with the fact that men today have fewer friends and feel less emotionally connected the ones they do have. We explore the irony that while people have long said that traditional norms of masculinity are what's holding men back from having fulfilling relationships, it's younger men who are more progressive on those norms who are struggling the most to make friends. Daniel talks about the fact that the male friendship recession isn't pandemic related, but rather seems to be linked to the weakening of ties to community institutions like church, the changing nature of work, and the fact that Americans are spending more and more time with their families. From there, we go down a bunch of interesting avenues, including the fact that husbands rely more on their wives for emotional support than vice versa. Why Daniel finds it concerning that young men today are more likely to first talk about their problems with their parents rather than with their friends than was true 30 years ago, and the irony that single men are struggling the most to make friends, even though they need them the most. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash friendship recession. All right, Daniel Cox, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you did a recent survey for the Survey Center on American Life, and it was about friendship. And you found that Americans overall have fewer friends than they did, than they did a few decades ago. But where things get really interesting is how things break down across gender lines. How does this decline compare in men versus women? Like, What are the numbers there? Yeah, so we looked back uh, over about three decades. And one of the things we did with this poll is we looked at what the, the Gallup survey had done in, in 1990. That was the, one of the most recent times they had done a, a survey on friendship. It's, it's not a, a topic that gets polled a lot. And we looked at the numbers there. We, we replicated some of their questions and we found really massive declines in the number of close friends that the Americans reported having. So in 1990, 55% of men had at least six close friends. So six or more. And in our latest poll, only 27%, about half as many had, had that many friends. That's crazy. And was the decline in women as stark? No, it, it was, there was a decline. It was a double digit decline from 41% down to 24, but not nearly as stark as, as for the men. The other thing is looking at the other side, we found that 15% of men today have no close friends, including about one in five uh, young men. And so that's really stood out to us. So they have no one who, who they feel, no friends who they feel really close to. What was that number like in 1990? Only 3%. So, you know, a five-fold increase over that time period. Okay. And we'll talk some more like what we think is going on with the decline in number of friends. Uh, but the other thing the survey hit, it was that not only do men have fewer friends than they did in 1990, but they report being less emotionally connected to the friends they do have. And so we've had guests on the podcast 
researchers who studied friendship, male friends in particular, and this idea of emotional connectivity, they, they think, they, some, the argument they've made is that it's, maybe it's not that useful because men and women, they socialize differently, right? Men tend to do things more shoulder to shoulder based around an activity. Women have more of that face-to-face emotional connection. And so comparing male and female friends isn't useful. Isn't it? It isn't, it isn't a fair comparison. So, I mean, does it matter if men aren't as emotionally connected to their friends if they, as long as they have friends? Yeah. So I have, I have some thoughts on this and, and particularly as a father, I'm raising two boys, a three-year-old and a five-year-old and thinking about their social development, their, their friendships and, and what I want for them. And while I understand like that's a, that's a common idea that, you know, we shouldn't compare and, and there's just some differences there. I think that it misses the mark uh, a bit. And, you know, this idea that men and, and women somehow need different things from their friends is, is not quite right. I think both men and women benefit when they have close, intimate relationships with their friends. In our survey, in fact, both men and women were less likely to feel alone, to feel depressed or anxious when they, when they had that kind of emotional support from their friends. So it, it matters. And, and, you know, men and women are equally likely to, to want these things. And we know this, that just men seek it out more from the women in their life than the men. So men with female friends are more likely to have emotional support and to get emotional support from their friends. And we know that married men are much more likely to lean on their spouse, whereas married women will, will lean on their spouse, but also look to their, their friendship network to support them. And so... I think there's this really interesting argument that my former colleague, Arthur Brooks, makes. And he, I think he makes it quite persuasively when he, when he argues that, you know, what makes all of us happy is, is having a stable affection, mutual understanding and commitment. And this is what the best research tells us. And I think, you know, he was talking in terms of, of romantic relationships, but it's true for, for friendships as well. Good friendships can offer all these things. And so, you know, I think to argue that, that men somehow don't need this and don't need to make these kind of emotional or intimate connections, I just, I kind of categorically reject it. I, I think that men are, are perfectly capable of expressing and experiencing the entire array of human emotions. We're just socialized in ways, you know, to make us think it's unnecessary or, or it feels uncomfortable. And we'll get into more like where men get that emotional support. Uh, as you mentioned, usually it's women, some sort of woman, whether it's family member or their wife. But I mean, it, another argument I've heard is that one of the reasons men struggle more than women to make friends is because you know, there's, there's an idea of traditional masculinity that prevents them from doing so. Like the idea that men shouldn't be vulnerable. And that's what's keeping them from making friends. Did the survey reveal anything that either supports or calls into question that hypothesis? Yeah, no, I think this is a, a really interesting and, and, and perhaps a bit of a thorny question. You know, when I look at my social media feed in response to this, you know, I, I, you know, I see liberals and conservatives kind of lining up a, a, in different camps. I think conservatives would argue that that modern culture has has you know feminized men in ways that makes it dif- more difficult for men to engage in in traditionally masculine activities or pastimes. There are fewer all male spaces, and and societally we're sort of less accepting of, of men getting together and, and doing this kind of thing. I don't find that terribly convincing. You know, and liberals conversely argue that you know it is this idea of toxic masculinity and that's the root of the problem men are socialized to avoid showing affection particularly to other men and that stops them from forming more intimate connections with their male friends and, and i think there's something there although it's not the entire story from an early age it's well known that that women are socialized to be more nurturing and relationship oriented than men 
And men are, are taught to perceive intimacy with other men as, you know, effeminate or weak or unmanly and, and, and perhaps unnecessary. And I think homophobia probably plays a role in here so, somewhere. And I think, you know, it's also true that notions of, of masculinity reduce the range of even accepted activities that men can engage with. You know, when two men are, are going out to dinner together one-on-one, we think about it differently than if it's a man and a woman or two, two women getting together. And we've even developed some, you know, kind of, derogatory terminology to describe it. You know, it's a mandate. But, but I don't know. So like, I, I look back, so I've studied, like looked at male friendship for a long time. Like my grandfather, okay, so if you're born after 1980, you seemingly grew up in a, a period where there was sort of a more of a progressive ideal of masculinity. And so you kind of got away from those traditional norms, right? You learned about, like you're steeped in this stuff about being vulnerable, sharing your feelings, et cetera, et cetera. And you think that would help men have more friends today, but like we have less friends than our grandfathers who, you know, they were steeped in like traditional ideas of masculinity or even like our great grandfather. I mean, man, if you go back to like the 19th century, you see these letters between men, man friends, and it was like almost like a romance letter. So I don't know. I mean, so what do you think is going on there? Like I, I see that and I'm like, well, we, we're seemingly more progressive about what it means to be a man, but like we're still have, we're, we have worse problems making friends than our grandfathers or great grandfathers. Yeah, I think that's that's totally right, and it's one of the things where I would you know not think that this is the entire entire story here, and why I preface that you know my comments there. You know, looking at our data, if you look at how younger men identify in terms of their masculinity, they're they're less likely to identify as traditionally masculine, but it's younger men who struggle most in forming and maintaining friendships. So this idea that, you know, if we could just fix, you know, culturally this idea of toxic masculinity, things would suddenly be better, I think is not the entire story. And I think we have to look to the institutions, the ways and the places men made friends, right? Whether it's church or, you know, local civic uh, engagement, all the different ways people can meet. Like one of the interesting things in our polls, we found that people are most likely to make close friends now at work, not through existing friends, not in their neighborhood. It's, it's the workplace. And, you know, there used to be, you know, a really vibrant, locally focused sort of community that people could go into, engage with. People were friends with their neighbors. I think that, that all this, this kind of decline is playing a role in our ability to, to create and maintain friendships. I want to talk about the work component in, in a bit here, because also I think the, the pandemic and the whole work from home thing has probably thrown a wrench in that. But another thing we, we've heard is, and researchers, researchers have found, is that women tend to be more willing to put in the effort in cultivation and maintenance of friendships more than men are. But do we know why that is? I mean, were you able to find anything out that with your survey? Yeah. I mean, we didn't look at that specifically. I, I do think it's true that the poll found that men are engage in, in sort of activity-based friendships. Right? They, they, they have a lot of these friends, whether it's online, you know, we asked, you asked about online playing video games, like younger men are much more likely to do this than just about anyone. But one of the, one of the issues there, I think is, is particularly when you, when you're thinking about, you know, you know, getting together for sports or hobbies, you know, hunting, all that stuff requires a lot of time and planning and logistics much more so than just picking up the phone. So, you know, the more intimate communication-based relationships that, that women are nurturing when they're friends are probably just easier to maintain. It's just different if you're, if you're sort of saying, Hey, you know, we've got to get together around doing a certain activity. I mean, first and foremost, the person has to live relatively close by. And, you know, given how far flung we've all become, I think that just, that creates an added hurdle. 
Well, let's talk about that, the role of geographic mobility. So that's one dynamic we've heard might be playing in a role in the friendship recession amongst men. But I mean, the one thing I've heard, maybe you find, can find, maybe your survey found something different, is that compared to previous generations, millennials are moving less. So you think, okay, if they're moving less, they're able to establish some sort of roots, they're able to make friends. So geographic mobility doesn't play a role. But did your survey find anything different? Yeah. So... I think that's right. So, you know, geographic mobility, we, we know it's harmful to establishing and, and maintaining social connections, right? But if you move a lot and any, you know, kid who moved around a lot growing up knows this, you know, you know, deep down, right? Like that it's really hard to maintain friendships if you're, if you're moving around a lot. It's probably less so than it once was with the rise of social media, texting and messaging and all that. But one of the big things that happens when you move is you become disconnected, right? You, you, you detach from the local institutions, the clubs, places of worship, which are really important ways for us to, to maintain close connections with other people. And one of the things that I think is, is not really paid attention to a, a lot is, you know, unlike marriage and our, our other familial relationships, there's not a lot of structure in friendships. I mean, it's, it's sort of whatever you want to make of it. So I think when they're structured through membership in an in a institution or a club, that's really beneficial. And so I think when people move, you become kind of uprooted. And one of the things that we know that's true with men, particularly young men, is they're far less likely to be attached to, to a religious community than previous generations until older men and women. And so that is a, a real loss in terms of being able to establish social connections with folks. So, I mean, are, are millennials moving less? Like, I mean, is that, did you guys find that in your survey? Yeah, I think the best evidence suggests that, yeah, comparatively, depending on how you want to find millennials, they're not, yeah, they're not moving around a lot. They are shifting jobs more okay. than previous generations. That is true. But in terms of geographic mobility, yeah, I think it's probably a little bit less. All right, but, but still the job mobility, we'll call it job mobility could be disrupting friendship formation. Absolutely. And, and again, if, if people, if we are disproportionately relying on the workplace for our social life, yeah, that's going to be hugely disruptive. Well, yeah, let's talk about this, you know, work and friends. So most, a lot of friends, it sounds like a lot of friendships are made in like they're, they're situation based. So there's church, there's club, and like a big one is work. Have you guys been able to figure out how the emphasis on using work as a way to make friends, how has that impacted uh, American friendship with men? Well, you know, one of the things I think is going to be something worth watching is what happens when more Americans want to work remote, at least part of the time, you know, what happens to workplace culture, what happens to, you know, in DC, a big thing is happy hours, going out to grabbing a drink with your coworkers, complain about your boss or, or whatever. And if that happens less often, that becomes less routinized, that's going to be a real loss. And I think it's something that probably a lot of people haven't thought through that, you know, when you're remote and I've been remote for almost 18 months now, you just see people less often. I mean, I, I see my spouse a whole heck of a lot, but my friends, I see, you know, significantly less. And, you know, even some of the kind of incidental contact and conversations you have with, with your coworkers, there's value in that. And I think, you know, even if it's more of a friendly acquaintanceship versus a friendship that, you know, losing those, I think are, are, are really important for us to, to think about when we think about the transition that we're, we're making here. And we have a, a new poll out just, just recently that looked at the employment situation and 
desire for remote work. And we're seeing actually that, you know, I think there's this idea that a lot of people want to work remotely. They want the flexibility. And there's some truth to that. But the the there was a significant number of Americans, I, I think it's more than four in ten, who actually said that in-person work with their colleagues was their ideal work situation. And then the next most popular was you know some flexibility, so some amount of remote work, but still largely based in office. And the minority view was a full-on remote. So I think there is some sense that that people value that kind of in-person interaction that the workplace can provide. So you mentioned church was a place where a lot of people make friends. And I think we've all read the articles that in America, religiosity has been declining for the past, steeply, I think in the past 10 years. I mean, what is the number? Do you have any grasp of the numbers, like how, how sharp the decrease, particularly amongst men? Yeah, it's it's pretty significant. Actually, my my dissertation was on this topic, looking at the decline in religiosity among millennials. And if if you look at the early 1990s, that's when the, the shift began to happen, it was around five or six percent of Americans had no formal religious affiliation. Now it's up about to about one in four among young adults under the age of thirty. You know, it's closer to forty percent, and I think for young men, it's closer. It's closer to half. So, you know, it's it's stark. And you know, certainly some of those folks who don't identify religiously may still be you know connected to a church or a congregation through their family, sort of being culturally connected. But by and large, they're not going off. And there's a strong correlation between not having a formal religious identity and not going to church or, or, or religious services. Yeah, I've, I've got a few friends who, who stopped going to church. And they say, like, the one thing they missed the most, like, they didn't realize they'd missed the most, is just, I've got a, like, a built-in social network. I can go someplace and I could at least have a chance to make some friends. And it's like, now it's hard. I have to like just, I have to build that up on my own. So that's one thing they, they typically regret the most about not going to church. Right. Yeah. And, and I have a friend, I have a, you know, a friend at work who, who went to law school and he's a member of the LDS church. And one of the things that, that, you know, he, he talked about was how welcoming everyone was. He, he joined a new church and, you know, people were immediately coming over and introducing themselves you know, asking them if they needed anything and that you have kind of a, a built-in community no matter where you go. And I think that's, yeah, that's a, you know, a big loss. I mean, we could talk for a whole episode about, you know, religious decline and what that means socially, civically, politically, but, but I think it is, you know, when we think about our declining social connections, like that's a big, that's a big piece of it. Well, and that was also disrupted by the pandemic for a while. A lot of churches were going online doing remote or paired back services significantly. I mean, so did you guys do a survey, like what, the pandemic did to friendships? Did that cause a decline in the number of friends or feeling that people had friends? Did that decline as well? So we did a really interesting survey project in the middle of, of 2020, during in the midst of the, of the pandemic. And it did affect our social lives. And there's there's no doubt. And, and we did this survey that looked at, at people's social networks. And, and so how we we got at this was we asked people to, to name up to seven different people in their life who they talk to about important problems over the la- in the last six months. So these are people who who were close. These these weren't people who were just you know Joe or Jane coworker or an acquaintance. These are people who had a, a close connection to the person. And then we you know some people mentioned three people, uh, some people mentioned four. And, and one of the things we saw is that this was also done in 2013. There's a pretty steep decline in the number of 
these close social connections people had. Their people's social networks we found were shrinking. And we asked in the survey, because we were in the midst of pandemic, you know, how much of this is due to the pandemics, people who mentioned they had zero close social connections. And only about a third said it was directly due to the pandemic. So for two thirds of people, there's there's sort of larger forces at play here than than just you know being quarantined and socially isolated for, for over 12 months. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means more room for your gear. And there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money and things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. 
This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. All right, so situational, there's like one of the reasons that it's causing decline in male friendships is the situations have changed. People are relying on work for friends instead of neighborhoods or civic organizations or church. But work jobs can be mobile because you're constantly changing jobs so you don't have a chance to maintain or even establish friends another factor i've heard that's playing a role in the decline of friendship is that people are spending more time with their families than with their friends than people did in the past did your survey find anything about that yeah so this is something that you know i looked at and other people looked at as well and and particularly for parents and I speak as one of, you know, a parent of young children, the, the amount of time parents are investing in their children has increased dramatically. And that just, it simply takes away time from other things you might do from your, your hobbies, from your work, from your friends. And so that's a, that's a big, big piece of the puzzle that we are focusing much more on our, our families, our spouses than, than we were previously. Some of this might have to do with the millennial generation being sort of socialized and, and, you know, cause this, that's the cohort that is having, you know, establishing families right now, socialized to, to really be emphasizing families. But I think there's some evidence that that might actually be changing now. Again, in this, in this more recent survey, and we asked the question about what is essential for living a fulfilling life? What kind of things is it? You're being married. Is it having just a romantic partner? Is it children? Is it, having a good job? Is it money? And then we also asked whether it was friends. And more Americans mentioned having good friends was essential to living a fulfilling life than anything else, than being married, than having kids, having a good job. So that, like what people think about the essential ingredients for a good life is, is, is changing. I, you know, I don't know how quickly people will act on it. Cause one of the interesting things, there's, there's some, there's some dissonance there. You know, we, we say, we, you know, we talk a big game about the importance of friends, but we don't actually devote the time towards it. Like if you look at the American time use survey, which just looks at how people are spending their time, we devote very little time to our friends compared to other relationships. And that's actually, according to at least the time use survey, that's shrinking over the last decade or so. Well, to the topic of men spending more time with their family, particularly for that emotional support than with their friends. I mean, I think there was part of your survey that found that uh, young men are more likely to go talk to their parents about a personal problem than first take their problem to their friends. What was the numbers there like? Yeah, so this was one of the the more worrisome things in, in the poll for me, that we found that 36% of, of young men go to their parents first when facing a personal problem compared to 24% of young women. And young men are, are much less likely to rely on their friends than, than they used to. And, you know, as a parent, I think parents are kind of great. You know, they, 
are the people that provide us with unconditional love and support. They are ready and willing to, you know, so hopefully support us financially and, you know, emotionally, but it's also a unique relationship and it's not an equal relationship either where there's the, the idea of reciprocity, you know, giving and getting in, in roughly equal measure. And that's what friendship re- really requires. And, and so, you know, if young men are, are getting this stuff from their parents, you know, the parents are going to be around forever. And again, it's a unique relationship. So I, I think it could be hampering their ability to, to, to establish social connections with, with their peers. And the big thing, and one of the reasons I think that this is so high now is that more young people are living at home than any time since the Great Depression. And that's largely due to the economic circumstances and, and COVID. So more than 52, or more than half, 52% of young adults are living at home. It's greater among young men. And I think this, this close proximity to their parents, you know, makes them more inclined to seek out their support and advice first as, as opposed to, to their friends. And you think this could be an issue because it's not allowing them to grow as a, as a man. Yeah, to establish their own social networks to build them out. You know, that's sort of the one of the important parts of being an adult is establishing your own relationships, figuring out, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And so I think that, you know, more than anything is is why that's really problematic. The other thing too is I don't I mean, this might sound kind of mean, but I think parents might not have any good answers for you because <laughs> like they, they, they might, they've, they've, they've had a completely different experience, right? And so if you're going to them, like, I can't get a job and your dad who like, you know, got a factory job right out of high school and retired and has a pension, like, what is your dad going to tell you? Well, go right. out there, hit the pavement and you'll find a job. It's like, well, it's not how it right. works. Or romantic relationships or anything like, yeah. I mean, like your peers are really, really important in all this stuff and navigating all the things that we have to learn in, in adulthood, you know, parents can provide a, a you know really helpful backdrop, but but I think it's our, our peers, our our friends that really allow us to to grow. Yeah, dating. I don't have any. I don't think I have any good advice for dating for my kids. Uh, <laughs> I don't like I'm Tinder. Like I don't know. Like what's yeah. your profile picture? I have no clue. What do you do when you get ghosted? I have no idea. That sounds right. terrible. I don't, <laughs> so I'm, and there's some things you probably just don't want to share with your parents, right? Like yeah. that's, you know, that's totally understandable. And so I think, yeah, to the extent that, that men can, again, establish their own relationship with their friends, I think that, you know, will be important for the rest of their lives. And we know this, like that, we know that friendship matters for the entire duration of your life. It's not just important for when you're young or before you get married. There, there is in fact some research that says among seniors, friendship becomes even more important than, than family, family relationships. So besides going to their parents for emotional support, if they're married, men will tend to go to their spouses first before they go to a friend about a problem. How has that changed from previous decades? Yeah, so so we know that in our survey, Americans are talking to their spouse first when they have a problem, and that's more than anyone else. Not surprising, right? It's a, It's a unique relationship. But we found the number of people relying on our spouse increased about 10 points over the, over the last 30 or so years. So men rely on their spouse more than, than women do. And there's like a 20 point gap there. So women will, many women will go to a friend first or a family member, whereas men were all, you know, nearly exclusively reliant on their spouse. And is that because like men feel they can't go to a, a friend about this stuff and they just got to go to their, their wife? Yeah. And I, and I think the intimacy that women have with a number of different people 
a lot of men only have with their spouse. And I think this is the problem, you know, returning to our, you know, we were talking about earlier, it puts a lot of pressure on wives to, to be the, you know, the absolute everything in terms of emotional and personal support. If I can't have these, you know, difficult conversations, if I can't get the emotional support from a friend, well, I've got to get it from somewhere or I don't get it at all, which is this entirely different problem. But it puts a lot more strain uh, on a marriage when you can't, you know, when your wife has to be everything for you. So I, I think that's something to really consider. Men do their wives the favor by, you know, reaching out and having good friendships. So they have a, a broader group of folks to rely on when, when things get tough. No, yeah. That's one of the advice that I give dudes who get married. When you first get married, I feel like there's a tendency, I just want to spend time with my wife. She's awesome. She's great. There's that honeymoon. But at a certain point, you have to start making male friends. It's going to be better for your relationship if you do. Absolutely. Uh, so another thing I've heard and read from friendship experts is that one of the reasons that men tend to have fewer friends than women is that men tend to rely on their wives for their social networks. So I can see why that would result in a less robust social network because you just have this one person who's providing your social calendar, but it did provide some connections. So there was a benefit there. One thing I, I thought of as I was reading through your survey that could also be contributing to the decline in male friendship today is that Men today are getting married later or they're not getting married at all. So you have like this double whammy going on. You have men who aren't prioritizing friendships themselves, trying to make friendships on their own. And they don't have a wife for those social connections either. Yeah, no, I, I think that that is something that we found in, in our data that, that single men particularly had significantly fewer friends than married men and to single women. So marriage, I think, is often set up as kind of an antagonist or set up in opposition to friendship. But really, you know, marriage can benefit, you know, for the reasons we talked about, you know, you suddenly gain a lot of social connections through your your spouse. A lot of us will meet additional friends through our spouse or our spouse's work. So there's a lot of, of social benefit that is that is gained from getting married. And we actually see this interestingly that men are more likely to value marriage right now and to say that it's essential than women are, which is really interesting. And I think it's because men receive so much from marriage, right? They, they get, you know, someone they're emotionally connected with, uh, someone who's committed to their welfare and well being. And then women are like, yeah, I get this from my marriage, but I also get this from my friends. And, and that is something that men are lacking, or at least a lot of men are lacking. Yeah. And also when you get married, typically you have kids. It's often something you do. And like having kids is another way to expand your social networks. You're going to get involved in scouts, the school, you might coach peewee baseball or whatever. Um, and so you might not become best friends with the parents, but like you at least put yourself in a situation where friendships could be made. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're in a phase right now that we do play dates like every weekend. So we're hanging out and talking with our parents and, you know, doing the, the brunch thing with where the kids are playing in the other room. And, and it's great. And, and what happens, I think, when we get older and our lives get really busy is we kind of put friendships on, we sort of kind of add them on to things we're already doing and, and fit into our lives. And then that's, those are the kind of friendships that, that we create and maintain. And there's value there, right? They, they may not become really intimate friends or a close friend or even a best friend, but there, there's still a lot of value in those, in those relationships. Have you, like in your survey, did you figure out like what people are doing if like they don't have friends, they're not married, they don't have kids, like what are people just like, they just go to their, their house and just sit by themselves? Like what are, what do people do? They're, they're, haven't you heard they're, they're fixing up old vans and driving them across the country. 
<laughs> Looking for friends. Yeah, well, I think that you know, there's there's research that has shown that the, the amount of time where we've spent in the office and on our work has increased pretty significantly. So we're definitely pouring more time into work. We just, again, had this new survey come out and people are engaged not only in full-time jobs, but pursuing side hustles as well. And so I think we've been kind of oriented to think that that's what you need, right? You, you know, to be successful, you, you, you need to have a good job and career. You need to get married. You need to start a family. And now we're starting to think like, well, there's, there's a lot else out there and friends are becoming a, a more important part of the equation. And, and ironically, right, that the very moment we need more friends, our social circles are shrinking, right? As you mentioned, we're, you know, the average age of, of marriage now, I think for men is like 30 and for women it's 28. And so we're, we're single longer. And for single people, friends uh, are really the most important relationship for the most part that we have. And we have just fewer of them. And so it's, it's really challenging. I think it's why you're seeing one of the reasons anyway, you're seeing this increased levels of, of loneliness and social isolation and, and depression and anxiety among young people. This like, we haven't, we haven't emphasized, I think, societally and given the tools for people to build and establish uh, lifelong friendships. Okay. So this idea that people, they're saying they want friends or friends are going to be important. This goes to a question I've been trying to mull over. I've been, well, I've been mulling over for the past few years because every time I have like these loneliness experts come on the podcast, they always define loneliness. It's a subjective feeling, right? So you could, the idea you can be surrounded with six friends and still feel lonely and isolated, or you could just have one friend and you feel like, well, I, I'm, this is great. I hit the jackpot. I got this one friend. And your survey kind of hinted at that this, there, this is something like this is going on. So I think one of the thing you found is that Americans with one close friend feel just as lonely or isolated as those without any close friends. Those with two friends only feel a little less lonely than those with no friends. And people with three or fewer friends still regularly feel lonely and isolated. But I read that like, man, you got three friends? Like that should be plenty and something you'd be happy with. But a lot of people don't seem to be. And you survey found that only about half of Americans feel satisfied with the number of friends. And for men, um, less than half are satisfied. And so this gets to the question, okay, some people have friends, but even with the friends they have, they're not happy with it. Do, do we maybe have like too high expectations of what friendship should look like, like the number of friends we have and what our friendship should be be like with that person? And because those expectations aren't met, we we feel lonely. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. And this was uh, among the most surprising findings in the poll, This this idea that you need a lot of friends, right? Like in terms of of forestalling loneliness and social isolation, depression, anxiety, that, that it's not just having a best friend or even one or two close friends that matters. You, you need to have a few. And you know the, the survey didn't get this directly, but I have some theories for, for why that is. And one of which is it, it may take, you know, given the busyness of our lives, it may take having access to more than one friend to, to really get the benefit. You know, you may have a friend who's busy, you may have a friend who's married with kids, not, you know, may not be able to, may not be available when you need them. And so I think like having a broader social network is, is really important. The other thing that I think, and this is not something that I've, I've seen a lot, and maybe you have some perspective on this too, is that friendship groups are something that I'm increasingly interested in. 
And maybe that friendship groups offer some considerable personal benefit. You know, one person can initiate a get together. Group pressure may convince people to to come who otherwise may have found an excuse not to. And you know, to order to have a friendship group, you need more than you know two. You need more, maybe, probably more than three. And and so I think that there's some benefit there. And we know from our survey that a significant number of Americans have have friendship groups where people know each other. And that is a, a, a significant benefit to folks. And so I think like that's something to, to think about as well in terms of the, you know, our expectations and whether they're realistic. I, I think social media in oh so many ways is, is not our friend. If you'll excuse the expression that, you know, we see these people out having fun, doing really great things. People are all together. You know, Instagram is, is horrible in this way. And there's, yeah, this idea like, wow, you know, my friends don't do this or I don't, you know, seem to have the same kind of connection. I don't seem to be laughing as much when I'm hanging out with my friends. And so I think like it can give us kind of a a tilted view when it comes to what we should expect from friendship. Yeah, I think think that's going on. I think our expectations are too high for friendship and we're just supreme. We're always going to be disappointed. From your survey, were you able to get any insights from people who have fulfilling friendships? Like what are they doing differently than those who don't have fulfilling friendships? Well, one of the things that we, we did a little analysis of, of people who have best friends. And one of the questions that we asked, well, so, uh, what, what makes this person your best friend? So we actually allowed respondents to, to say in their own words, what it was that, that made this friend special and unique. And it was really interesting how many people mentioned how long they had known this person. So longevity was really a key part of it. And I think it just takes time to build up intimacy and, and connection. And so uh, people talk about the shared language among friends and that you don't need to talk often, but you need to talk, you need to have a similarity drawing from the same experiences. So, so I think that's kind of a crucial component. You know, yes, you can develop tight relationships maybe over a year or two, but it, you know, those, those people who are your best friends, those really close relationships have been around a while. Okay. So obviously the intent of this survey is to be descriptive rather than prescriptive. Um, you're just trying to give people a general lay of the land of, of friendship in America today, but are there any policy changes or institutional changes or just general takeaways you hope people walk away with after they read your survey results? Yeah. So like, Professionally, I'm, I'm agnostic on, on policy. You know, I work in Washington, D.C., where everything's political. So I really try to stay out of recommending or wanting policy changes. But obviously, you know, when it comes to something, you know, so basic as friendship, I, I would love to see groups, you know, pick it up, run with it. You know, we've identified a pretty significant issue, I think, and we're going to produce more research on this topic in the future. So definitely stay tuned. But, you know, for me, I've been a researcher my entire life. I've been, I've been doing polling from, you know, 20, my 20s onward. And so I, you know, I don't really get involved in in the policy debates, nor do I, I have actually, you know, any good ideas about the correct interventions other than like, again, culturally, societally, we should just emphasize friendship. You know, we should sort of say, Hey, you know what? Marriage is great. Uh, There's a lot of great things about marriage, but you know, if you're looking to build a complete life, you've really got to spend some time and think about friendships. And, you know, employers should too, and church leaders should as well, right? Like they should think about friendship in a, in a way that, you know, in the way that people practice it, in the way that people think about it. So meet them where they are and not try to prescribe something to them. 
Well, I think the takeaway too, and just listening to you talking about the different changes in friendship is, okay, people seem to be putting an emphasis on friendship, but I think the big takeaway is like, well, if you want friends, it's kind of on you now. Like there's no longer those institutions that are basically support friendship. Yeah, you have work, but work is constantly shifting. Your fellow coworker could leave jobs or you could leave jobs. A lot of people are going to church. If you're not going to do that, you have to be really intentional about it and make it happen for yourself. Yeah, no, I think that's, that is at the heart of this thing. Yeah. Friendships are really unique in that way. They, there's not the same kind of structure. I think, as I mentioned earlier, they are completely voluntary and, and they come in a wide variety. And something else I would mention too is that, you know, a friendship doesn't have to, to provide you with everything, right? They, it doesn't have to be the most intimate, the most connected friendship to be worthwhile and to, to be a value. And so, you know, I'm talking about, from my own experience, these friends with the parents we we made through our, our kids' daycare. And, you know, for a lot of these folks, yeah, we probably won't become close, close friends, but there's the the friendship and and the community we get are just invaluable to us. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think a lot of times people, when they look for a friend, they're looking for a friend that will like hit all their sweet spots on their interests and have a lot in common. But it's okay to have friends who are, okay, this is my work friend and this is my peewee baseball parent friend is my gym friend. You don't have to have everything in common to, to be a friend. Absolutely. Well, Daniel, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the survey and your work? So I would absolutely encourage you to, you know, we're very active on Twitter. I'm at DCOX, C-O-X polls. So you can, you can find our work there. And then on our website as well, we are at americansurveycenter.org. Fantastic. Well, Daniel Cox, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. My guest today was Daniel Cox. He's the director of the Survey Center on American Life. You can find out the survey that we discussed today at americansurveycenter.org. It's under the title, American Men Suffer a Friendship Recession. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash friendship recession. We find links to resources. We delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AWIN podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles that we've written over the years about pretty much anything you think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AWIN podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AWIN podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. If you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think get something out of it. As always, thank you for your continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding you to not only listen to the A1 podcast, but put what you've heard into action. 